so they tell the story about two Jewish children, brothers, great troublemakers, who terrorized their home and terrorized their community. And one day a great rabbi came to the city. So the desperate mother of these two boys decided she must take her children to this great spiritual master. Perhaps he can inspire them to rectify their ways. She began with one of her children. She brought one of her children to this rabbi. The child comes into the office, to the room, and the rabbi looks at the child and he tells him, he says, tell me, where is God? And the boy does not respond. Where is God? The rabbi asks again. The boy is silent. Where is God? Tell me, the rabbi asks. He does not say a word. And a fourth time, the rabbi says, tell me right now, where is God? The boy picks himself up, runs out of the room, runs home, comes into his house. He's out of breath. He runs into the bedroom where his brother is. He locks the door and he says, my dear brother, you won't believe what happened now. God is missing and they think that we did it. This anecdote is an appropriate introduction to the theme we will address this evening, healing our educational system, the art of embracing a soul. In the weekly portion of Tazria and Mitzayra, in the book of Ayikra, in the book of Leviticus, there are discussed the laws of Tzarat, an unusual illness, a discoloration, of a person's skin, the illness Tsaras, sometimes translated as leprosy, was identified by a white patch appearing on the skin of a person. Let us read the powerful, clear words of the Rambam, of Maimonides. If you'll open your curriculum, right under the video, there's the curriculum in PDF. You can open it or print it out. Look at source number one. Maimonides Rambam in Hilchos Tumas Saras Perik Test, the laws of the impurity of leprosy, chapter 9. And the Rambam says, Although all are qualified to examine and diagnose leprosy, the person's impurity or purity subsequently is entirely dependent on on the Kohen. Every person, every scholar can come, examine the person, and give, uh, present his perspective. But this does not make the person impure. Only when the Kohen says, this is a Tsaraz, does the person become impure. Ketzad, Maimonides continues in source number one. Kohen If a Kohen is ignorant in the laws of leprosy, and he's unable to diagnose, he doesn't have the intellectual knowledge. He doesn't have the knowledge and the ability to make a diagnosis according to the laws of the Torah. An expert scholar examines the infliction. He examines the illness. 
Va'oymer loy, and the scholar tells the Kohen, Emor Tomei. Say, Tomei. Say that the person is impure. Va'hakohen omer Tomei. And then the Kohen says, impure. Emor Tar, say pure. Va'hakohen omer Tar, the Kohen says pure. And in the third paragraph, even if the Kohen is a minor, a young child, or an imbecile, the scholar dictates to him what to say, and then he is the one who issues the verdict. Either says that he's a leper, or masgir, he uh, puts him into isolation for a week to re-examine it again, or Poiter exempts him from the Tzara's illness. What's the logic here? Why the Kohen? What does it have to do with the Kohen that it's only the Kohen who could say Tomei? If somebody is an expert and he sees that this person has the symptoms, so he's Tomei. Imagine a person goes to a doctor's office, and the doctor is a great expert, and he understands the human body, and he examines the person, and he diagnoses a particular illness, and we say, listen, no procedure should be done, no medicine should be given, no prescription should be given to the patient, until we get a Kohen to come and say, this is your diagnosis. The Kohen is not a doctor, the Kohen is not a physician, he never studied medicine, but only through his verbal declaration, Tomei or Tahar, pure or impure, do we follow through with the procedure that the Torah presents. Why? What is, what's the logic behind this? Another question. Why is it that when it comes to the impurity of leprosy, it is only here where the Torah presents this novel law, that the impurity and purity is dependent completely on the Kohen. There are many forms of ritual impurity in the Torah, discussed in these portions and other portions. But the Kohen does not play a role only in this particular case of impurity. Why? When it comes to a leper, we find that the consequences of this impurity are very severe. There is a unique stringency in the case of a leper which does not have its like, its parallel in other forms of spiritual impurity. If you'll take a look at source number three in your curriculum, the Torah says in Parshas Tazriya, Leviticus chapter 3, chapter 13, All the days that the leprosy is upon him, he shall dwell in isolation. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Indeed, this was the law. When somebody was diagnosed as a leper, and the Kohen pronounced him or her as Tomei, this person had to move out from the community, from all of the camps of the Jewish people, outside of the city, outside of the camp, and remain in isolation until the symptoms have changed and the Kohen came to re-examine him and declare that he is Tahar, or she is pure, and they could come back in with the processes the Torah describes in the portion of Tazriya and Mitzrayah. So this is a unique stringency. The person is sent into isolation, away from all of the communities, and he's even isolated from other lepers. Even the lepers between themselves, they were not dwelling near each other. And the reason for this 
it's not part of, it's not this discussion tonight, but just briefly the reason the Talmud tells us, the rabbis say, because leprosy was usually an illness that was a result of the emotional and spiritual dysfunction of a person who dedicated much of his life to gossip, to slander, to create conflict between people, and therefore he had to be isolated from the people until he could learn to heal from within. What does this represent on a spiritual level? Physical isolation is connected to emotional isolation. It's connected to spiritual isolation. So we're dealing with a condition with an impurity where the Jew, where the leper is sent out, is expelled from the community of Israel, so to speak, on some level, is expelled from the Jewish nation temporarily. It's not just a geographical change, it's also a spiritual and emotional transformation. Comes the Torah and says, to give, to issue forth a verdict so stringent on another Jew, a verdict which will bear the consequences, which will result in the fact that this Jew will have to be expelled from the community and enter into isolation. Such a verdict can be given not by a scholar, not even by the greatest scholar in the Jewish world, only by a Kohen, only by a priest. Why? More than three millennia ago, the Kohanim were charged with the following mission, with the following mitzvah, to bless the Jewish people called Birchas Kohanim. To this day in the Holy Land, there is an interval during every morning service at which the Kohanim spread out their hands and extend divine blessing on their Jewish brethren. Among diaspora jury, this lovely tradition is practiced only on holidays. Why the Kohen? Why was the Kohen given the mission to bless the Jewish people? So the Kabbalah explains, the Zohar explains, the reason for this is because the Kohen is an Ish HaChesed. The Kohanim were designated to be conduits for divine blessings because their souls evolved from the celestial chamber of love. This grants them the unique ability to cultivate compassion and kindness towards others, and it makes them uniquely suitable to become channels for God's love, grace, and blessings to the Jewish people. What is the blessing the Kohanim actually make before they bless the Jewish people? They recite a blessing. What is the blessing? Source number four gives us the blessing from Tractate Sota, Daflamites, Sota, page 39. Mevorich. What does the Kohen bless before he begins the blessing? Blessed are you, God, King of the Universe who sanctified us with the sanctity of Aaron, and commanded us to bless his nation Israel, ba'ava, with love. This is the only blessing where we add this word. We don't, when you make a blessing before you put on tefillin, you say, God commanded us to put on tefillin. You make a blessing to light Shabbos candles. God commanded us to light Shabbos candles. To eat matzah. To eat marah. Not to eat matzah with love. Not to put on tefillin with love. Here he commanded us to bless the Jewish people with love. Says the Zohar, source number 5. Zohar Chela Gimel, Zohar volume 3, page 147. 
kol koyin do leirachem laama. Oy ama leirachem in lei. Any koin who does not love the nation, or the nation does not love him, lo yifris yodei levorchel ama. He should not spread his hands to bless the nation. The verse says, He with a good eye will be blessed. Read not will be blessed, but rather will bless. If you don't have a good eye, if you don't love your people, don't bless them. And this is not just a Kabbalistic statement, it's quoted in Halacha. The Mogin Avram and Erechayim Simen Kufchav Ches and the laws of the blessings of the Kohen. Or in source number six, we have the quote from the Shulchan Aruch Harav. The Shulchan Aruch of Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, section 128. A Kohen who hates the community, or the community hates him. It's a danger, it is a danger for this Kohen to bless the nation, to bless the people. That's why the blessing says to bless his nation Israel in love. The only way they're allowed to bless the nation is if they feel a love, an ava to the people. Parenthetically, there's a beautiful uh, insight given by the by Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, by the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Shulchan Aruch Haraf who once explained on a homiletical level a deeper insight into the blessing. Doesn't only mean he commanded us to bless his nation Israel with love. That the blessing should be communicated with a sense of love to the Jewish people. But there's also a deeper explanation. He commanded us to bless the Jewish people with Ahava. To give them the blessing of love. To bless them that they should have love. A beautiful insight. Not just He commanded us that we should bless when we're in a state of love. But that's actually the blessing. When they continue the blessing, that's the basic blessing of the Kohanim. But underlying it is they're blessing us, Israelites or Levites, that we should have love. They're blessing us to be able to have love, to be able to live with love, to be able to experience love, to be able to bestow love. This is the reason for another very interesting statement in the Zohar. And this is in source number seven. Begin kach koyen lo mesitra de dinner. The Kohen has nothing from the side of severity and judgment. O begin kach tonin on the Zohar says. That is why we have learnt Kol Bazug A Kohen who is unmarried cannot serve in the temple. Omer explained The divine presence does not dwell fully upon one who is not married. Vikoyani 
and the Kohanim require God's presence more than the rest of the people. So that's why the Kohen who serves in the temple needs to be married. And since God dwells there, so therefore Chesed, love dwells there. Therefore, Kohanim are called Chasidim, people of Chesed, of love. This is what makes them fit to bless the nation. This is the meaning of the verse in Psalms and Tehillim. This is an Ashrei. Who shall bless you, your Chasidim, your kind ones? And the next verse in Deuteronomy, Lamed Gimel, Dvarim Lamed Gimel, Tumecha v'urecha li'ish chasidecha. Your Tumim and your Urim are to your man of kindness. The Kayanim are called chasidecha, people of chesed, people of kindness. What does the Zohar mean? What the Zohar means is that for the priest to serve in the Holy Temple, he needs to fully develop the human innate capacity for love and selflessness. And it's only through marriage where one learns to share one's life with another human being that a person is challenged to bring out his or her full potential for caring and affection. This doesn't mean that people who are married are all kind, that all people who are married are kind, and people who are not married are not kind. Obviously, that's not the case. You can be unmarried and be extremely kind and sensitive and compassionate. But at the end of the day, when a person is not married, they have the luxury of retreating to their own hub, to their own cocoon, and doing things their own way. Ultimately, when you're not married, you need not answer but to yourself, which is why so many people today opt for a single life. It is in the institution of marriage that you're consistently called upon to take another person and their needs into consideration. You are consistently challenged to take another person seriously, to embrace their feelings, to examine, to appreciate their feelings. For a marriage to work and blossom, you cannot be selfish. So it's the married Kohen who is given the responsibility of serving God in the Jerusalem Holy Temple. Based on this explanation of what a Kohen is, what a Kohen represents, now we will understand, says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, why the Torah demands unequivocally that only a Kohen is the one entitled to actually give the diagnosis and the verdict that this person is a leper and is impure and must be excommunicated, must leave the community and remain in isolation. The Torah will not rely on anybody else but a Kohen to give such a verdict. Certainly the Kohen's verdict and diagnosis must be based on the laws, on the symptoms articulated in Torah. And therefore if the Kohen is not an expert on his own, he must seek the expertise, he must seek the expert opinion of the great scholar or scholars who understand what leprosy is, who can identify its symptoms, who can examine it and tell the Kohen their opinion. But when it comes to the final diagnosis, when it comes to the final verdict, when it comes to the person who will actually execute the decision, when the person who has the power to say you are impure, and therefore you must leave all of the communities of Israel and remain in isolation. Only the Kohen can do it. Why? Because it's only the Kohen who can feel and experience 
the profound pain of the person who will go through this experience. And therefore we know that he will not hesitate to ask and inquire and examine and research. Maybe, maybe the person is not impure. Maybe the person should not be identified as a Mitzvah. If it's anybody but a Kohen, you may be the greatest scholar and expert in the world, but you're not an Isha Chesed. Your soul does not originate in the celestial chamber of love. You weren't blessed with the secret of Ba'ava, of affection. We cannot be sure if your verdict is 100% consistent with the truth of Torah. In other words, the Torah would agree with this verdict because this is the appropriate and helpful and productive and healing procedure for this human being. Or maybe he may be swift to come to the verdict because of his own deficiencies, because he doesn't recognize the consequences, because he's not so attached to the person, because he doesn't feel so much for the person, because it's easier, it's easy, it's not so hard for him to say, you're impure. And when the Kohen, after all of the research, comes to the conclusion and says, this person is Tommy." We know that this is the appropriate thing to do according to Torah. According to the divine blueprint for life, this is the proper path. And we also know that the Kohen will concentrate all of his energies to ultimately ensure that this person becomes pure. And this explains a very interesting verse in the book of Deuteronomy. You have it in your eighth source, source number eight. In Shoftim, in Deuteronomy chapter 21. The verse says, The Kohanim, the sons of Levi, shall approach, for God has chosen them to serve Him and to bless the people in the name of God, and by their mouth shall every controversy and all leprosy be judged. What's the connection? Now we understand the connection. Because God chose them to bless the Jewish people. Therefore, he gave them the authority to determine who's a leper. Only if you're saturated, if you're permeated with a love to the Jewish people, then the Torah, then God Almighty relies on you, he trusts you, that when you will have to give this verdict, you will not give it with an easy heart. You will make sure 100% that there's no alternative. And if this is the only alternative, you will make sure that the person can return. You'll do everything to ensure and check where he's holding, and if he's pure, immediately bring him back. And the fascinating thing is that even if the only Kohen in the community is a child, or even if the only Kohen is an imbecile, which means the Kohen is not even capable of truly developing the idea, the Kohen is completely relying on the scholarly expert who is telling the child what to say. Still, the Torah says the Kohen, the child, is the only one who could say, You're Tommy, you're impure. Why? Because the verdict, Tame, must come through the verbal communication of an Isha Chesed, of a person of Chesed. The research and the explanation may have been presented by the scholar, but he must dictate to the Kohen, and it's the Kohen who says Tame, when the words Tame come through the mouth, and therefore the energy of the person of Chesed, it has a different impact. There's a different energy that's coming through. It came through from a loving, it came through a loving person.
if you don't feel the pain of the person, if you don't experience what the human being is going through, if you don't understand the anguish of their soul, if you're not sensitive to their experiences and to their journey, the Torah does not trust your verdict does not trust, your rebuke does not trust your criticism. And this is true about every relationship in life. This is true in the relationship between spouses, relationship between parents and children, relationship between siblings, relationship between employers and employees at work, partners, colleagues and friends. We often are compelled to criticize, to rebuke, to declare, Tommy, this is impure, you're impure. Before you make that declaration, make sure you're a Kohen. Make sure that there is love, there is caring in your heart to this person. If not, your verdict may be incorrect. It's a verdict the Torah does not expect, does not accept. It's an incorrect verdict. And since it's an incorrect verdict, it also will not be effective. And we see this practically. When you rebuke, when you criticize somebody out of love, with love, it's effective. It's productive. When you rebuke or criticize somebody, but as you're criticizing them, you do not feel love to them. You don't care about them. Why are you rebuking them? Anger, frustration, stress, selfishness. You lost yourself. But not because you care about this person. Usually it will be far less effective, if not counterproductive, if not destructive. Parents, educators, spouses, employers, colleagues. We often find ourselves with the need to rebuke, to denounce, to criticize, sometimes to penalize, to punish. But all too often these are done more as an outlet for our own anger and frustration rather than as a tool to help these people become the best human beings they can be. We may call it discipline, you may call it justice, but if it's not based on kindness and the desire to help the other person, you may end up being more destructive than constructive. So before you criticize your spouse, stop and ask yourself if you're doing it as a Kohen, out of concern and care for them, or is it a result of your own anger and stress? In that case, remain silent until you can transcend your self-absorption and enter into the world of another human being. Particularly, this is relevant in the field of education, when we discuss healing our educational system. Principals and teachers often feel the need, or at times feel the need to expel a student from an educational institution. Just as during biblical times, the leper was dismissed from the community. Sometimes a principal or a teacher Sometimes a parent will look at a child, at a teenager, at a young man, at a young woman, a boy or a girl, and they will tell him or her verbally, explicitly or implicitly, through their mouth or communicate what they're feeling in another way. You don't belong. You will not make it. You cannot be part of this experience of learning, of growth, of inspiration. You're not interested. You're passive, you're apathetic, you're crass, you're gross, you're mundane, you're egotistical, you have too much chutzpah, you just don't belong, you're a tr troublemaker, you have other cravings, you have other appetites, you don't belong. Comes the Torah and declares, 
If you're not a Kohen, you are forbidden from issuing forth such a verdict on a Jewish child, on a Jewish teenager, on any human being. If you do not genuinely care for this youngster, if you don't respect him or her, if you don't love them, you have no right to expel them. If you will not lose sleep over the fact that you had no choice but to dismiss a student, then it might be you who should be dismissed from your position. It's easy to define somebody as impure if you don't understand their pain, if you do not appreciate their soul, if you don't love them. Before you punish, you must first learn how to be a kayan. You must first learn how to really care about others. Because criticism, punishments, even dismissal, when they're motivated by concern for the person rather than by your own own rage or incompetence, it will have a totally different impact on the person you're punishing. What is more important, you will not cease to labor that the situation be reversed and the individual is restored to his or her potential glory. I want to share with you a story. I heard the story a number of years ago from our Vishnitsa Chassid, who shared with me the story. He told me that he heard it from Reb Shloyme Kanevsky, the Rosh Yeshiva of Tiferes Tzion, a Yeshiva Tiferes Tzion in Bnei Brak in the Holy Land, a son of Reb Chaim Kanevsky a grandson of the Stiplegon, and it's a story he related about his great-uncle, the Chazonish. The Yeshiva Tiferes Tzion was founded by the Chazonish, Rabbi Avram Yeshaya Karelitz, in the 30s. A short while after he made Aliyah to the Holy Land. The Chazonish hired Erosh Yeshiva, the main teacher of the Yeshiva, and one day this teacher, this Rosh Yeshiva, found out that it was Shabbos. And a particular Yeshiva student violated the laws of Shabbos. Sunday, the Rosh Yeshiva, the head of the Yeshiva, called in the student. And he instructed him to pack his bags and leave the Yeshiva. He was expelled. The Chazonish heard what happened. So he called in the Rosh Yeshiva, the head of the Yeshiva. And he asked him why did he expel this student from the yeshiva. So the head of the yeshiva told him that the boy desecrated the Shabbos. And he was forced to throw him out of the yeshiva. He had to expel him. Well, the other boys have to see the consequences. Let them all learn a lesson. So the Chazonish tells the Rosh Yeshiva, he says, listen. In today's day and age, and this is in the 1930s, to expel a boy from yeshiva is a form of spiritual death. When this boy leaves yeshiva, he's not going to go to a kolel across the street, or to a shtibel, or to a synagogue to study. From the doors, when he leaves the doors of the yeshiva, he's going to go to an environment where he's going to confront many challenges that will challenge his integrity 
that will challenge his daily behavior, that will challenge his moral sensibilities, that will challenge him in every possible way, morally, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. And he may fall prey to many elements which will tear him away from the living wellspring of Yiddishkeit, of Torah, and of his own soul. The Mishnah tells us in Tractate Sanhedrin, chapter 1, Mishnah Dalad, Dine Nefashas Be'asimushlaisha. When a Jewish court wanted to issue forth a verdict of capital punishment, you had to have a court of 23 members. Only a court of 23 members can issue forth a verdict of Dine Nefashas, a verdict with, of capital punishment. This is true physical death. Spiritual death, certainly no different. So to sentence a person to death, the Chazanich says, you need a court of 23. Even if you're a great scholar, you can't make this decision yourself. Tell me, asks the Rosh Hashiva, did you bring together a court of 23 people before you sentenced this student to be expelled from the yeshiva and sacrifice his spiritual vitality and life source? The Rosh Hashiva responded and said, he says, I am enough of an authority to decide when a student must be expelled from the yeshiva. The Chazanish was relentless. He said, with all due respect, a Mishnah is a Mishnah. The rabbis say in Tractate Sanhedrin, for a death sentence you need 23. If you don't have 23 judges to agree to this verdict, that this boy should be expelled from the yeshiva, should be expelled from Torah, should not be given the opportunity to be in an environment of learning and spiritual growth. You cannot expel him, you have to bring him back. And the Rosh Hashiva argued, no, it's not the case, he has the right, the person desecrated Shabbos, there was no other choice, his reputation is on the line, the yeshiva is on the line, and they were arguing back and forth until the Rosh Hashiva told the Chazaynish that if you want to take back the boy, that's fine, but then I am leaving. I am resigning, go find a new Rosh Hashiva. So the Chazaynish said this, to expel the student is in the definition of Dine Nefashis, it's capital punishment. The Mishnah says you need 23. You leaving the yeshiva is not Dine Nefashis, it's not an issue of life and death, it's an issue of Dine Mominis, it's an issue of money, of monetary issues. Nu the Mishnah says in Sanhedrin, the first chapter, the first Mishnah, Dine Mominis Bishloisha. Monetary laws can be decided by a court of three. You don't need 23. A court of three is enough. And the Gemara says on Davdalin and Sanhedrin, If you have an expert, so you can even use one judge, you don't need three when it comes to monetary issues. So expelling the boy is a capital issue. Capital punishment, spiritual death. You need 23. You leaving the yeshiva is monetary issues, so you need either three or one expert. No, I consider myself an expert. You can leave the yeshiva. And he took back the yeshiva student, he took him back to yeshiva, and the Rosh Yeshiva left the yeshiva, and for a few weeks, the Chazoynish himself was forced, he had to give the class. Ultimately, the Rosh Yeshiva came back. A while later, he came back.
Now it happens to be that this yeshiva student who was brought back to yeshiva is today considered one of the great halachic authorities and Torah scholars in the Holy Land. Not only did he grow up to become a great scholar, but grew up to become a Jew, a God-fearing Jew, somebody who studies Torah and teaches Torah and observes mitzvahs and is a committed Jew in his daily life. This is the sensitivity that's critical in education. It's dine nefoshes, it's not dine mominus. An educator, a parent, a teacher, a principal is not dealing with money. You're dealing with a soul. Every word, every thought, every gesture affects a soul and a young soul, an impressionable soul. Today's day and age, the yeshivas, Jewish day schools, yeshivas are filled, thank God, with thousands and thousands of students, but in the streets and in other places, there are large percents of, large percent of Jewish children, of boys and girls, who are expelled, who are not taken in, who are not given the chance. As they say, they study in yeshivas rechavas, in the yeshivas in the streets. Now, of course, there are many reasons. And one cannot be naive and ignore the problems and the challenges and the issues and the stress of principals and the stress of teachers and the stress that educators have and so on and so forth. But the question is, is it not true that often the fate of young men and women is decided by people who do not appreciate the Dine Nefoshes. Who often don't realize that we're dealing here with the future of a bright soul, of a glowing diamond, of a singular child of the Rebbeinah Shalolah. A decision of expulsion could never be accepted easily. Before somebody makes such a decision... You have to ask yourself one question. How would I deal with it if he was my own child, if she was my own child? Would I also say, I have no choice. I can't accept this person. I can't deal with this person. Or I would find a solution. I would sacrifice myself a little and I would find a solution. This is the concept the Torah is conveying. Somebody may have issues, you look at them and you see a discoloration, physically or spiritually. And you want to say, Tome, you don't belong. Comes the Torah and says, you have to first be a Kohen. Respect the child. Love the child. Appreciate the potential of the person. Develop a real affection to the person. Get to know them. Then you can give the verdict. But so often these verdicts are given without that love, without that respect, without that sensitivity to the individuality of this person. To love a person, you have to appreciate their individuality. You have to respect them. You have to understand them. You have to study them. You have to discover their hearts. Of course, there's room for discipline and there's room for strength. And there's a need for consequences. But the underlying energy, the underlying level of communication must be the koyin. To mechavu rechel ishchasidecha. Levarich es ama Yisrael ba'av. When you love your children. 
when you love your students, when you love other human beings, when you love other Jews. You view them in a particular way. You look at them from a particular perspective. You go into the depth of their souls. Then, only then do you have the right to be able to define a person as a leper. Then we know that you're saying it, feeling all the pain that this person is going to go, going to go through. And then we know that you will make sure that as soon as possible, this person will be given all of the opportunities to be restored to his or her dignity. Good night.